It was awful, Lord. I saw it all. Commander Guan Yu, he met death at the hands of Wu. Guan Yu? No. No! I promised. We swore that we would walk together. I have lost him. He was the closest to me. The one who was most important. What have I been doing in thinking? Tell me what you're waiting for! Brother, we must take our revenge! I must do it! Please wait, my revenge. Lord. This is war! Summon the generals here at once! Hey! Hey! Where? Hey! This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Back to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. It is Tuesday, a, uh, May 3rd, 2011. This is episode 63. As usual, I am Paul Fox, and joining me from his secret location here in the Fragrant Harbor is Mr. Kevin Ma. Hi, Paul. I'm actually in Pakistan, where my, my hosts have a lot of wall, uh, holes. My walls have a lot of holes. Hey, and, uh, you, you, don't, you, don't, you don't want people in, like, black uniforms and... And Jack Boots coming too. Uh, no, I was like the guy upstairs. There's something up going on upstairs, and I heard a bunch of gunshots. But I can just kind of stay in my room. You're just I was tweeting chilling. everything. Is that? What yeah, was I was about? tweeting everything. I was like helicopters. What the hell? And yeah. wait, 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 they drag out who? <laughs> yeah, I have no idea what's going on here. Yeah, that's uh, that's some pretty interesting news that's been going on. Uh, yeah, I you know, I I understand the the uh, how would you say it uh, elation. Uh, that a lot of people in the world, myself included, feel. But when I turn on the news and I see like it's like a you know a, a trailer truck party or something, uh, out, you know, out of the parking lot of, a, of the Super Bowl or something, and it's just people going nuts in the streets and cheering and and drinking and I don't know, it kind of makes me wonder about you know that kind of stuff, you know, because I remember people them showing video of people in other countries doing the same thing when the towers came down. Right, And right. people did not think highly of that. Now, don't get me wrong. Osama bin Laden was a douche, and, you know, he deserved to be brought to justice, and he was, but I just don't think we... Uh, I personally am not a person who'd want to go out and dance in the streets about it. I mean... Yeah, I mean, those those guys might also think that we're douche. I mean, America, Americans, or George Bush is a douche too. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's... Do you really want to do the same thing that we 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 don't like them doing? That's that's yeah. just, just there's a little too much. Anyway, we're not here to talk politics, yes. uh, at least politics that aren't related to film. Although uh, a couple of comments I've been reading, people are saying we'll have to wait for the Oliver Stone version of this to come out in a few years. Now I was saying that the uh, European finance TV miniseries that runs six hours long, directed by some art house director, mm. that will play at 
festivals everywhere and yeah that that version should come yeah. about five years there you go um anyway we are here to talk about stuff uh like movies films from hong kong to hollywood and some stuff in between uh we got a big show today we're going to be talking about four films again including the japanese manga-based film gants as well as the latest donnie yen feature the lost bladesman for Daddy. west screen yeah Daddy. For West Screen, we'll be talking about the new science fiction feature, Source Code, and the latest comic book blockbuster, Thor. Um, so it's a pretty big show, but before we get into any of that, we've got a little bit of news. All right, got a big show, as I said. Uh, only going to cover one news story this week, although it is a big week for news. There's lots going on. Uh, but in this little bit of related news, uh, we're going to talk about some news coming out of Udine, where a couple of our friends uh, are there right now, yucking it up with uh, film legends like Michael Hoy, who was uh, presented last night with the inaugural Golden Mulberry Lifetime Achievement Award. Now, that is a mouthful. <laughs> um, I, you know, I wouldn't want to have to read that off uh, every year as you know, the awards list. Uh, and uh, what is a mulberry? You know, it's the, I don't know. It's, it sounds like a handbag brand or something. Yeah, but that's Burberry. <laughs> Burberry, I know. Um, but anyway, this uh, this news coming from the staff reporter, whoever that may be, <laughs> over at FilmBizAsia.com, um, is basically says you know that Michael Hoy's been honored for this Lifetime Achievement Award, um, and they had a special screening of his classic film, The Private Eyes. Um, very well deserved, I'd say. I mean, everybody loves Michael Hoy, and he's definitely very talented, both as a com comedian and a dramatic actor. I just kind of wish he was still doing more films. Um, I, what was the last thing he was in? Free of a Kind. Wasn't yeah, it? the the, the oh, Miriam my. Young and uh, uh, yeah uh, film, and you know he's had a couple bit parts in some of the uh, you know films like uh, Fantasia and stuff. Uh, but uh, I'd really like him to, to keep working. But, it, you know, he's mostly retired, I guess. And uh, But he's still, he still looks healthy. I mean, the picture they got of him, he, look, he looks a lot better than his brother Ricky does. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. You know, I hate to say it. But you get Ricky on screen, and he just looks like, I don't know, like the Lich King or something. He's a, <laughs> he hasn't aged well. Oh, and, and you're a man as rich as Michael Huey and as, as accomplished. You're at a stage, you know, where you're semi-retired. And you could take care of yourself, you know. Yeah, take yeah, care of yourself. Yeah. Um, do you have a favorite Michael Hoy film? Um, I I know of Michael Hoy's work, but I'm not. I don't. Uh, if I remember anything, it's from my childhood. So no, I don't really have a favorite Michael Hoy movie. But my favorite um, Michael Hoy story is always in the Day of One uh, in the Day of One talk show when he talked about being a a scriptwriter for mm -hmm. Michael Hoy's uh, the movie with Leon Lai. How he had written the script for himself, actually for himself to star in, and then turned out after he finished the script, turns out Leon was playing mm -hmm. the part he wanted to play. Yeah, that there was a bunch of stories about shooting Michael Hay, and I always loved those stories. And of course, I love seeing Michael Hay's um, media appearances and his monologues, and they're always great. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not. I can't really. I mean, I like a lot of his films. I prefer his comedies more than his uh, dramas. But um, I don't yeah. know if I could really pick out a f favorite. Uh, <laughs> 
the thing is, if, if, if he was doing uh, more films, I, I mean, I don't mind if he does less films, as long as those films are not as bad as Three of a Kind, because yeah. you know, that was a, uh, it was exciting. It was, oh, my, we'll go ahead in a movie again. It was, you know, it was Joe Ma, because Joe Ma was still off his uh, Love Undercover uh, streak. Yeah. And Miriam Yuan and Lao Ching Wan, and then turns, the movie turned out, you know, really flat. Yeah, yeah. I, it was all right. I, I didn't have a that big of a problem with it. I guess, uh, you know, if I was going to pick out one that I'd, continuously go back and watch I'd say it's probably the one he did with um uh Xiao Fang Fang um uh, uh like yeah, yeah news yeah. reporter um always on my mind I think is the name of it Something and like and she's uh she's kind of got a little bit of this thing where she's got uh early stage Alzheimer's or dementia or something where she kind of has these little moments where she freezes or forgets things um, but it's 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 a nice nice little comedy and and that's one that I keep going back to and keep watching. Um, but I I love his early stuff with his brothers too. So it's kind of hard for me to pin down a specific film. Uh, but yeah, the, the the reward I think is is well deserved and uh, congratulations, Michael Hoy. Our first film up for East Screen this week is Gantz. Uh, this is coming from director Shinsuke Sato, who was writer and director for Princess Blade, a 2001 film. And there's a little bit of a Donnie Yen connection, who's going to be a major feature in our second film. That was Donnie Yen was the action choreographer, action director for Princess Blade. Um, so there's a little bit of a six degrees of Donnie Yen or something like that going on <laughs> here. Um, so, right, Gantz, what can you say about Gantz? It's kind of uh, weird. Um, yeah. It's definitely, you can definitely get the sense that it's a manga-based film or an anime-based film because um, it's got that kind of tone. The story is basically, what, uh, you die and you wake up in this strange room and there's a strange black ball there. And you're not sure what you're doing there and the black ball basically gives you orders and those orders are that you and everybody else in the room has like 20 minutes to go on a mission to kill aliens that have apparently invaded the Earth. Um, if you're successful in the mission, you get points, and with every 100 points, you get a choice. You can either resurrect somebody who's died playing this game, uh, uh, you know, another player, or you can buy your way out of the game and go back to living a normal life. So. It's this weird kind of limbo state that's happened because these people have died for various reasons, but they're not dead. They haven't gone to heaven. They're not sure why they're there. We're not sure why they're there. We're not sure where this ball came from. We're not sure why the aliens are around. We're not sure of a whole lot of things. Um, that's part of my problem with, with Gantz. I mean, it's an interesting com uh, concept, and it really does kind of take a comic book or video game style approach in some of the things that it uses and some of the little uh, ways it, it uses art direction and, and the techniques that it uses. But then it throws in some really harsh moments. Um, for example, I don't want to give too much away, but there's a scene where, you know, a grandma and a kid are brought in. Because basically, you, you go on these missions, and if you don't succeed the mission, you end up dying permanently, um, and you're done. And you go into the Gantz database, and Gantz is this black ball, basically. Um, and so you get these people come in every night who are new, you know, newly dead people, 
and they don't they don't know what to do. They're you know not sure what's going on. Um, so it's it's a strong learning curve, and a lot of people end up dying. And so in one of the missions, it's like this grandma and her like what is he like five five year old kid, and you know they're toast. Um, so basically, it, 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 but it's 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 like you know you're expecting. All right, is there going to be a moment of heroism here? What's going on? But the film is really harsh, yeah, with, with yeah. some moments like that. And for me, that doesn't really gel up with other aspects of the film, you know, because it, it's trying to be humorous in some places, it's trying to be sort of action and comic bookish in some places, and then it's got these really harsh moments, and it's kind of you're not sure how to take it. Um, and I think the film itself is taking itself really too seriously because of that, and. It, the biggest sense I got out of it was from, like, Lost. That is, you've got all these mysteries, all these questions, and it doesn't really answer anything for us. Um, you know, it's just too many questions. I mean, why are they, these guys having to hunt the aliens? Why are all the aliens different? I mean, when the aliens, you know, they, they, they get these missions on the Gantz ball, it pops up on this little screen, and it's like, okay, now you must hunt the onion alien. He stinks, and he likes to eat onions, and he looks like this kind of old Nintendo system graphic, you know, so it's got that kind of video game feel, but then, you know, they go out, and it's, it's like really a lot of gore, and things that people exploding, and um, some pretty heavy-duty violence in some places, and you just never really get the sense of, you know, what if you don't kill the aliens? What if time runs out? Um, they never really touch the boundaries on this game or the, this limbo state or whatever it is um but if you survive the night the game's over and it's you're transported back to your regular life to live for another day until the next evening um and then there of course there's a big final battle and the, the story basically takes place from the perspective of these two main male characters and some side characters um but there's a big final battle Everybody's got these guns, but they can't seem to hit this giant, enormous alien um, that's like three times the size of a barn. The, 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 the battle itself just doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. I mean, it's visually cool in some places, but it doesn't really make up for a lot of the narrative flaws, uh, at least for me. Other than that, I think the casting was fine. I, I really liked the casting for the female characters, um, Kay and Tai. Uh, I thought that you know, I, I again, I'm coming at this from the perspective of not having read the manga, but I was really kind of interested in their characters and interested interested to see how they develop. Um, I mean, it's kind of fun with the gore and the guns, the fetish leather. Um, but again, I'm guessing that if you were a fan of the manga, they've probably changed a lot. And maybe as I was disappointed with uh, Space Battleship Yamato, there's probably some people going to be disappointed with this. Um, and I don't think the manga is actually finished, right? Um, but we're going to have part two uh, coming out in a couple weeks here. And I don't know if that's going to answer any more of the questions that I had or not. But from what we saw of the trailer, which they showed us both before the movie <laughs> and at the end of the movie. So there were like some heavy spoilers um, before we actually got to watch part one as they showed us the trailer of part two. Um but it, it, that doesn't seem like it's going to answer much in terms of questions or not. I'm, I'm not really sure. Um, I'd say that, you know, if you're somebody who digs sci-fi, Japanese sci-fi, 
and you don't mind the deviation from source material. So like if you can just, you know, you're happy with things like ZRAM or Cassern or even uh, Space Battleship Yamato for what they are and you're not really looking for um, accurate recreations uh, from the original source material, I'd say see it. You know, it, it's, it's worth the price of admission. Um, but if not, if you're not somebody who really is big into Japanese sci-fi or manga at all, eh, you can probably TV it. What do you say, Kev? Um, okay, well, the, the film is only going to be two parts. So um, whatever questions part one raised is supposed to be answered in part two because then that's one, one entire film. Um, but for me, um, the, the, the first alien kill, the thing with the onion, onion one, the way it's set up, setting up the world, I thought that was pretty cool. The blood and I, I know I'm a, I'm kind of a sick bastard, but yeah, the blood and the violence. I was like, yeah, bring it on. Bring it, it was, on. It's it was cool. cool. It was cool. But then <laughs> it's just like, all right, onion aliens. All right. Why are they here? What are they doing? Um, and then the next one was what? The, the boombox alien. And it was like this completely different thing. The robot, yeah. You know, and then the third, you know, the third one was kind of the final boss. I mean, they're they're all totally different. I mean, why are they related? It's just the thing is, I mean, the same thing as the many black movies, right? I mean, you have a bunch of aliens, but you're never sure where yeah. they come from, what you should plan it. it I think it, it, it was yeah, okay. I guess I, 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 if I, I if you look at it from that that aspect, it's kind of okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. So for, go ahead. For, continue. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, nah, it's okay. For me, for me, the, the the fight scenes were kind of the the core or the money shots of the film, so to speak. But only the first one was really cool because it really kind of I think, from what I've read, from what I've heard, is that that first scene really kind of um, encapsulates what the violence in the in the manga, the entire series is like. It's supposed to be crazy, violent, uh, tons of sex. But um, the the film kind of keeps toning down the violence as it goes along, and just kept toning down the story as it goes along. There's kind of this this pure love thing going on, partly because the the lead actor, um, the one who plays uh, what's his name, uh, scrolling up here, um, Kurono, uh, he's the uh, member of uh, Japan's pretty much hottest boy band right now. So I'm I'm sure there's some some uh, commercial commercial considerations involved, which is why the film feels kind of toned down. Um, the drama stuff in the middle, including the pure love stuff and uh, dealing with the characters, I thought that was kind of slow. That The thing is, I don't mind drama in the middle of these fight scenes. Um, the contrast the tone, the, the, the contrast in, uh, in tone is okay, but I just wish it was better written. I wish it was it was a little more tightened. It, was, it wasn't so um, ho-hum. That it was, I, I wish it was better. Um, I know they're stretching it to be a two-part movie, but I don't feel that part one really raised enough questions to to make me want to watch part two. You you have a major, some major plot twists, and it sets up a few threads. But the first the first movie doesn't really raise enough care, or it doesn't really make the characters memorable enough or involving enough. Or the story isn't involving enough, or there's not enough really burning questions for me to really oh I should watch I really wanna I really look forward to part two. It more it feels more like oh I guess I should watch it because it completes the story. That's really the only motivation to complete the story more than wow it it should be really cool. Um, but with that said, from the trailer, um, I'm hoping the action really delivers in part two. I'm hoping um, from what I read, there's a lot of gonna be a lot of story in part two. There's gonna be a lot more I guess a lot more dense. 
uh, a lot more plot, a lot more things revealed in part two. So I'm hoping the action and the drama, they both deliver more in the second part. Um, before the, move, the second film opened in Japan, there was a, 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 they, they showed kind of a condensed version of the first film on TV because it's a, uh, a, a TV station produced film. Uh, it was just normal for a Japanese blockbuster. Um, they, the TV station, they, the network, they showed an hour and a half, um, how do I say, alternate version of the movie called Another Gantz. Um, I've taken a, a peek at this, at this Another Gantz and essentially a, kind of a alternate angle on the story with uh, cutting out a lot of the fight scenes, cutting a lot of the violence out of it. Um, with some scenes intact, it's kind of like a, a prequel slash alternate angle look at the first movie. Because um, they're using new footage or what? Yes, yes, new footage, and there's a new investigative journalist um, involved. Uh, you also see the the, the guy, the middle aged guy with the glasses, who never who never really does anything. He is it's more from his perspective as well. So it's kind of like another angle on the story. I'm not, I haven't I haven't watched it yet, so I'm not sure how much it adds to the film. Hmm. It feels kind of like. It just feels like one of these um, synergy thing where you watch all everything they produce on all different media to get the entire thing, and that's kind of unfair for people who who just want to watch the films yeah. and get it. Well, maybe they'll release that as like a, a DVD or a Blu-ray package. Yeah, um, the film that the DVD, the the TV movie itself is coming out next month on DVD to I guess to kind of continue cashing in on the second film. Mm. Um, but from what I've looked at, it doesn't seem to. It feels jammed in. It feels like they they take out they, they intentionally took out part of the 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 required story in part one and just threw it on this TV thing. So then you have to watch everything they produce to get, and that's unfair. I don't think it's you know I know TV producing films is something that's needed in the industry, but the way they're doing it, cutting up little pieces and putting on different media, and so we have to watch everything to get it. It just it just it doesn't really work for me. Um, but I mean that's the trend. I mean even in, even in the U.S., you know they they do um, you know the so-called web series or the or, or the or the net series during like summer breaks and stuff, where they'll release like five-minute episodes building up to a show or a, as a sort of a epilogue of a show. I I don't really have a problem with it so much as long as they make it available. You know, it's like if this were just to be something they kept internal for Japan and there's never, you know, an international version that people, you know, watching the film overseas can get a hold of and, and see um, and then partake in that experience. You know, I mean, I'm, I'm OK with it. If you're it, it's it's just like if you're going to read the, the mangas and, and watch the animes and then see the film versions of anything, whether it's, uh, you know, uh, uh, Big Bad Wolf and Pleasant Goat, or um, you know, McDowell or uh, Caroro, or any any of those series that do stuff like that. Um, I don't have a big as big of a problem with that as long as they you know are consistent in making it available. Mm. Well, and I I think I haven't seen that that alternate version, so I'm not sure how it is in the Gantz universe. But right now, it's um, as a film as a film on its own. Gantz Part One doesn't really work too well for me uh there are some good things and some some fun things in it but for me it'll be see it for the gans fans and of course the fans of the heartthrobs um both matsuyama kenichi who played um l in the death note movies and um the arashi the boy band member uh nino nino mia kazunari um of course they're gonna have to watch it uh but everyone else i think 
because the TV station produced it, so watch it on TV. Because the way it seems like it's the way it's made for. Even in the in doing the um, the framing, using the widescreen TV framing for it, hmm. it feels like okay, TV it. If you're not really that, if you don't really care about or you don't know much about the the, the original. All right, let's move on to talk about our big Hong Kong film for the week, and that is the Lost Bladesman. Uh, this is the latest film from Alan Mack and Felix Chong. Starring Donnie Yen and a bunch of mainland actors. Um, Kevin, you want to tell us about The Lost Bladesman? Sure. Um, okay, so The Lost Bladesman is the latest film by the directing team of Alan Mack and Felix Chong. These are the guys who co-wrote Infernal Affairs, uh, moved on from the evil grip of Andrew Lau, and then made... Um, what else did they make? Uh, Lady Cop and Papa Crook. Um and this is their latest uh, co-directorial effort. This is uh, part of the Three Kingdoms world. Um, in case you don't know, uh, it, it concentrates on Cao Cao, who, uh, if you've seen Redcliffe, this is how I, this is how I, how I put it in perspective. Okay, Cao Cao was a guy who won his enemy's wife and started a war over it, which is the Battle of Redcliffe. And Lo Guan is a guy who kicked ass in that one scene in part one. He never showed up again in Redcliffe, but... Remember, he's a really. They're both. They. They're both main characters here. Well, no, he did show up in. Uh, did he show up in part in, two? In part two, very briefly, him and uh, Liu Bei and Zhang Fei were kind of like hanging out, like they weren't going to do anything at one point, and then like they rushed out to uh, join the battle or something. I don't remember if, even if that I remember one. I just remember he had his own really cool fight scene in, in Rick Cliff, and then he, I, I wish I wanted more of him, and then he was yeah. never seen again. And he was also in uh, Andy Lau's Red. Uh, Three Kingdoms movie played by uh, yes. Dick Long. Yes, Anthony Wan also played him in um, in what was that Triad movie starring Tony Leung. Um, uh, this is why we don't do live. Uh, do you remember the one with Sandra Ng and Tony Leung? Sandra. Mm. Um, it's director by Dante Lam. Really good. Um, oh, uh, yeah, uh, no, I remember the Chinese name, but I don't remember the English name. Tony Lang Kafai or Lang Chua? Yeah, Lang Kafai, Lang Kafai. Uh, uh, almost got it. Uh, it's really, it's one of those underrated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I can picture the, I can picture the, the DVD cover, and why is it? it? Jiang Hu, the Triad Zone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yes, you got that's it. The one. Okay. Yay. Yay. So yeah, he is the guy. Also, you watch a lot of crime movies. Lord Guan is a guy that is that is um. That is uh, worshipped by both the triad and the cops. Um, okay, so so the, the film that takes a really small part of the the, the Three Kingdoms world, um, specifically the um, the part where Cao Cao captures Lord Guan, and Lord Guan has to go through um, go through six generals to bring I think um, two princesses or two really big. It was like his lord's it was, wives. It was Liu Bei's wives, basically. Okay, Liu Bei wives, and he has to get through six generals in order to bring him back to to Liu Bei. Um, a, a little different here. I think it's a it's a solid structure. Uh, I think it's a solid part of the story <laughs> of the uh, of the whole tale to to really center on Lord Guan. Um, but of course, the problem with when you when you're writing about um, a guy slaying six guys to get to somewhere. That story be episodic, and that's kind of what happens in the middle. But first, uh, kind of a plot introduction. Um, the things I'm not really familiar with the Three Kingdoms world, but I'll try to do as best I can. Uh, Lord Guan is a prisoner of war under Cao Cao. Uh, 
and Cao Cao, who is played by Zhang Wen, uh, last seen in Let the Birds Fly, uh, ask, essentially asked Lord Guan to take out the enemy's um, leader in order to end the battle. And after the battle, uh, Cao Cao is thoroughly impressed and wants Lord Guan to stay. Um, a little homoerotic, I'll tell you more later. Um, but of course, Lord Guan, he is um, he's a compassionate man and he's a loyal man. He is loyal to his sworn brother, Liu Bei, who is uh, played briefly by Alex von, von Jongson, uh, the older one, not the swimmer. Um, so, of course, he's not going to stay with uh, Cao Cao. Um, now, um, the thing is that uh, Cao Cao has Liu Bei's family's hostage, which includes his wives and his uh, concubine, um, played by... Betty Lee, who was in um, Kung Fu Cyborg. Now um, she was also in uh, uh, just another Pandora's box. Yes, yes, yes. There you go. I remember. Same director. Um, so to Cao Cao is, is no, sorry, Lord Guan is is secretly in love with her, but there's all these unrequited love stuff. Uh, and eventually, um, Cao Cao does let Lord Guan go, but um, I think here's where the twist of the tale is: is that the um, the people around, the generals around Cao Cao um, don't want Lord Guan to get away, so they have they have essentially bought out all these these enemies to to stop Lord Guan from escaping, and that's essentially the story. Um, it starts off okay, setting up uh, Cao Cao and the Lord Guan and their kind of their friendship, but not really that kind of that balance, throwing up balance thing. I think it was okay. Um, again, the homoeroticism, the whole scene where Cao Cao is like. Why are you going back to him? Stay with me. That kind of thing was a little, a little much. But um, the 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 heart of the movie, which is um, Lord Guan going through the slaying the six generals, that stuff really didn't engage me for some reason. That's where the the heart of the action lies. That's where the Donnie Donnie trademark action stuff comes in. Donnie also acts as the action director of the film. Um, it didn't really engage me. Um, I think his fight, he has a fight in the alleyway with um, Andy on. That one was okay. Um, and there's some interesting stuff going on with the weapons that he's that the, these people are using, um, but you really have to kind of watch the action scene to really get the nuance of that. But it's not as a as a story wise, it doesn't really move the story along, and it just really didn't engage me. Um, the romance is totally just snoreworthy. The way they they had to change the story to make this unrequited romance, and it's all kind of flat. Um, so the actors, Donnie, Donnie, um, you're good. You're a good action actor, I know, but leaving your eyes half closed does not mean you're acting. Okay. Yes, he, he only has two kinds of looks. He's open his eyes f- fully when he's fighting, and then just kind of leaves his eyes half closed when he looks contemplative and thinking. Or when he's uh, when he's drugged to to think uh, that. Uh... The woman he loves is coming on to him or yes. when he's poisoned and still fighting. It's like the same expressions. <laughs> yes. Or, or when he's being seduced by his enemy. Yeah. Yes. Uh, meanwhile, Zhang Wen, um, I know you're a better actor than everyone else on the set, but just don't try so hard to look so cool. Uh, I mean, Zhang Wen is fine, but it's almost, it's almost like he, every line, it's almost like he's trying to say every line the coolest way possible. So he's stealing every single scene, even when he's not supposed to be the focus. Uh, but, you know, Zhang Wen is a great presence on screen, um, and he's kind of cool to watch, which kind of makes the whole middle part where he's mostly 
gone. It kind of slows down the film because Lord Guan isn't really much of a character here. He's just really righteous and, and you know, because he's Lord Guan and he's Donnie. And it's not really interesting character. So when the, when the middle part of the film is following him, it's not really all that interesting until John Wen comes back in the story and there's actual conflict. Um, the story kind of ends abruptly. Um, it feels like it doesn't matter much in the scheme of things. Uh, it's not like the Battle of Redcliffe here. Um, it's just one small part of the Three Kingdom story. Apparently, a part that wasn't, wasn't written that well, according to, uh, I think, Felix Chong, when he was at a talk at Film Mart, he felt that the story was actually badly written in the, in the book or so that he felt like he wanted, he could... There was space. There was a space for him to rewrite the story or to make it better. Um, this one, I think, there's a second Chinese film to be mixed in uh, the Adobe 7.1 system. I saw it at Adobe 7.1 theater, uh, JP Causeway Bay. But um, the entire film sound, the sound mix sound like it was done in post production. It sounded like no one was recording anything on set, so everything sounded like it was done in a computer. So the music was really bombastic. There was a really nice bass, you know, it sounded nice. Uh, must be the theater, but it was just really too unnatural to really have to feel impressed, I guess. Um, so it's kind of wasted. Um, any Free Kingdoms fan should probably see it. You know, just see a nice part, a little part of tale uh, brought on. Fans of Lord Guan, obviously. Um, Donnie fans, if you watch Fourteen Blades, you should probably watch this. This is better than Fourteen Blades. Um, everyone else is kind of, I think TV is enough. It was a little underwhelming for me. Um, I wasn't really with it in the middle. I kind of wanted to fall asleep, but I didn't think, thankfully I didn't fall asleep. Um, and in the end, it just kind of felt underwhelming. Okay. Paul? Yeah. Um, well, first, wait, was that Alex Fong as Liu Bei? I mean, that's like the worst casting since Michael Wong and this, the Emperor and Seven Swords. Um, fortunately, he didn't have any real dialogue. You know, that's um, probably why they let him stay, or that's probably why they found him. Yeah, you know, I was like, I was like, they did. I, I saw that come on. I saw him come on screen. I was like, no, they did not cast Alex Fong. I mean, don't get me wrong. I have nothing against Alex Fong, but there are just certain roles, certain traditional roles, and I think certain actors, you know, some actors are just good for modern films and shouldn't be in classic traditional roles. And I haven't seen Alex Fong do anything that would lead me to believe that he could be a decent uh, Liu Bei. Um, but fortunately, he wasn't in a sustained role. He was just sort of on quick screen. He's a cameo, cameo. Yeah. essentially. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is a prelude to Red Cliff for those not in the know. So in the timeline, this is uh, well before uh, the Red Cliff events happen. I think it's like eight years or yeah. ten years. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, the, as Kevin said, the plot covers basically two key periods. Um, the first one being um, in what is known as the service under Cao Cao, where he's basically a prisoner of war, but because he's an honorable sort of prisoner of war, Cao Cao is able to manipulate him into uh, working for him for a bit. Um, and I know, Kevin, you know, you kind of mentioned this, this homoeroticism, and I guess you can read into that a little bit, but, it, I mean, this is a period where you've got this concept of things like, you know, all men are brothers, and you know the 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 water margins idea, and mm -hmm. outlaw your know, outlaws of the marshes. Some people might know it, uh, and this kind of filters into you know the modern day films like uh, The Killer or Hard Boiled. That sense of you know camaraderie brotherhood, and brotherhood yeah. and and that kind of thing. And I thought that it was kind of well played out here, 
at least from from the point I mean that's the one thing that Cao Cao really wanted he wanted people like Guan Yu under him to follow him but he couldn't get it because mm. he he lacked uh, the 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 sense of uh, honor uh, you know that uh, people said Liu Bei had and at least from Guan Yu's perspective that you know Liu Bei had and so I I kind of liked that dynamic where he was constantly trying to figure out a way to get this guy on his side because mm. um, he knew how valuable he was and and but he wasn't he just wasn't up to snuff for for Guan Yu um, for that purpose so I kind of enjoyed the two of them you know playing off each other a little bit um, you know it's a it's a it's a solid film by all standards it's kind of reminiscent in some places in some of the battle scenes of uh, Dynasty Warriors or Romance of the Three Kingdoms game, if you're familiar with any of those. You know, you've got uh, the, sort of the opening battle sequence. There's, you know, lots of soldiers and, and some, you know, pretty nice um, battle choreography going on. And then the action stops as two generals go and face off for a moment. Um, they're using a lot of tripwires on horses in this film. Though. I was like, mm. come on, guys. Um, I wish they'd get away from doing that. They've been, I've been seeing that in a lot of films recently. But, um, you know, it's... Zhang Wen, I think, for me, made a better Cao Cao than um, Zhang Fengyi, who was the character in um, Red Cliff. I mean, I've always felt that if, if you know the, the stories, he's a very complex character. For most of the time, he's a villain. You know, mm-hmm. um, as he was as he was portrayed in Redcliffe, and as kind of he's portrayed here, but he's portrayed here with different facets, and I like that aspect of him more so than just the straight-on villain, as he was kind of given uh, given to be in Redcliffe. Um, and so I think that you know, for me, the nuance was there, and that was kind of brought through with Jiang Wen. Although you're right, he does kind of stand out heads above everybody else who's participating in the film for the most part. Um, there's some decent action, and, you know, Donnie's the action director here. Uh, there's a lot of creative liberties taken with the history, though. And if you're somebody who's read the, the, the histories or the stories, um, or you know, you know the historical things that happened during this period, that may bother you a little bit. And it kind of bothered me a little bit. I mean, I'm not certainly not an expert, but of the things that I know that they changed, I was kind of like, well, you know, it's kind of presumptuous of the directors to come in and say, well, there's this hole here, and we can fill it with interesting story, um, and that's fine. But when the story really contrasts with, you know, what what's kind of out there and already written, um, you know, you can take creative liberty or creative license only so far. And then for me, it starts to get a little bit grating, and that's what this film did. And in particular, as you said, Kevin, it was the romance angle. They could have totally left that out here um, because it's basically his uh, affection for this concubine of Liu Bei, who's played by um, uh, Betty, Lee. Betty Lee. Yeah. And so it's, you know, it, it, it's an unrequited love kind of thing. And so you've got this tragedy and, and, you know, they're trying to show the Guan Yu character as being upright and holding his composure and respecting his brother. And yeah, that's all great. But the reality, you know, the truth as it's written was that it wasn't just her that he had to escort back. It was his other wives as well, mm-hmm. you know? So they, they turn it into this sort of two-person road trip where he keeps having to save her and rescue her from danger. But there were other people. Um, and then there's a lot going on, you know, with, 
like you said, the plot to, to stop him and everything. And that's not really what's written for the most part. I mean, it's interesting. It makes for some decent fights in places, um, but just a lot of creative license taken. Um, but the romance could have just been left out. And I mean, later he does have children and, and stuff, so I would have preferred they would have gone with a much more sweeping narrative of his life and something that was a little bit more accurate than this sort of compressed and explosive action and all the traditional points that you need in a film, you know, the romance angle, the action angle, the betrayal angle. Um, I, it, it wasn't exactly what I was hoping for for the film. But um, so, yeah, the, the second part is what is known as the traversing five gates and slaying six generals part where he leaves Cow Cow to go back um, to find Liu Bei and escort the wives back. And in the process, he has to go past these the six checkpoints or these six gates. And in doing so, he kills the six generals and hundreds of, or thousands of troops that are barring his way. Um, and. You know, so he's got a series of fights. They don't show all the fights. Um, most of the fights are good, but there's one fight with um, one of the generals named Bian Si, if I'm saying that correctly, and it was cheap. I mean, oh, based... is it the one where the door closes yes. and then? Yeah. Yes, I was like, "Are you kidding me?" <laughs> um, but basically, and this isn't how the fight is actually written about. I mean, there was it was the, the general was supposed to like invite him to a dinner or something and then try and ambush him. Um, but basically, in the film, he goes into um the the gatehouse and confronts the general and his troops surround him and the camera backs off and they close the gate doors and you just hear fighting and and you see the gate doors kind of shake and then like the general's weapon which is like this big morning star comes flying through and leaves a hole and you see like a bloody soldier's face and i was just like are you serious that is just such a cheap cheap way uh, and and then the gates back open back up and to reveal you know uh, Guan Yu or Donnie standing there and just all these guys laying dead on the ground. Um, I can only congratulate the actors because they all got to their spots in time, or or, or or not. We don't know because it was one of those things where they could have just done a freeze frame at any point and and set for the next shot and then rolled started rolling the camera again. I mean it was really like 1950s style you know, classic editing school again. Um, but yeah, that, that kind of really bugged me. But the other fights are, are actually pretty decent. The only problem is with Donnie. And I hate to say it. I mean, the action's great. His, I, I liked a lot of what he did with the choreography and the battle scenes. Donnie looks the part, but only from the neck up. <laughs> okay. Um, he is like the shortest guy on screen. Uh, and that really shows in the wide shots when he's like facing other people. I don't know Donnie's actual height, but you know you can see in some of the wide shots that he's like equal height or a little bit smaller than some of the people he's fighting. The power that they do in some of the fight choreography, you know, comes through. Um, but the wide shots really suffer under Don Don's shortness. I mean, I don't know uh, any other way to say it. I mean, and if you read about the character, um, and I, I pulled this quote from uh, I think from Wikipedia about somebody talking writing about uh, Guan Yu it said Xuan uh, De took a glance at the man that is Guan Yu who stood at a height of nine chi and he had a two chi long beard long beard All right now a chi if you look that up is like a, f a foot 
basically, <laughs> in average length. So they're saying this, that, that Guan Yu was like nine feet tall, and he had a two-foot-long beard. All right, now sure, that's probably an exaggeration, but the point is is that the guy was huge. Um, he was big. He was massive. He was able to use this, you know, long spear, what they call the Quan Do. It's basically a sword on the end of a big uh, staff. You know, he was able to whip that thing around with one hand, and, and, you know, he's supposed to be massive and powerful, and Donnie just isn't that. I mean, he's fast, he's skillful, he's got great martial arts, um, but he's not Guan Yu from the physical sense. Um, so that part I kind of had a problem with. Now, fortunately, they make up with it through most of the film by just showing uh, some close-ups and some bus shots, but there are a couple times when they're doing some wide shots and, and some fighting, and, it's you know, it's just, I'm not buying it, Donnie. I'm not. <laughs> um, and then he, he shaves his beard at some point. I don't know why they did that. Um, that was kind of weird. Um, and then Donnie does some Chen Zen style running and dodging of arrows. And I thought, oh, I'm watching the beginning of a Chen Zen Legend of the Fist again, where he's dodging <laughs> bullets. Um, that was kind of fun. Uh, but then towards the end, there's a, there's sort of a narrative text thing that comes on and says, oh, and then this happens. And it tries to fill in the gap, the massive gap that they, they jump through. Um, and it's like two sentences. It's nowhere near what they kind of needed to go into. And then they jump to the the ending, you know, the, the end of his life and how, how that ends. And I won't tell you how that ends. Uh, I'll let you uh, experience that in the film. But the ending was weak, basically, uh, to put it lightly. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'd say it's definitely a see it for people who like period pieces. If you, you know, if you liked Red Cliff... You might like this if you can, if you're not a fan of the you know original saga. You don't know much about the story. You just want to see Donnie kicking butt um, and something that ties in a little bit with Red Cliff. I say see it. You know it's still it's got a very good production value for the most part, um, despite that one battle scene being done on the cheap. Uh, you know the art direction's good, the costuming's good, and like I said, Zhang Wen is great for for my money. Um, if you're not really into that, if you're not into those period pieces, you could TV it, but this would be great. This would be a great film to sort of start out with and then follow with, uh, you know, a double screening in the afternoon of a Red Cliff 1 and a Red Cliff 2. And if you were kind of so inclined, uh, maybe even Andy Lau's, um, Romance of the Three Kingdoms movie, which is kind of the worst of the bunch, but yeah, it would be a fun day nonetheless. I don't know, ending the day on a Daniel Lee movie? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, I, I'm not, I don't really remember where that one fits in the timeline of everything. I guess that's a, it was also more about, a bit towards um, the end. Isn't it more um, about the Zhang Yeah, whatever, Jilong. Yeah, 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 his character. But and um, it's the end of his life, right? Yeah, yeah, basically. Yeah. But the, the, uh, the, what was the point I wanted to say? Uh, oh, yeah, the, the movie poster for this shows... Donnie Yen as Guan Yu in like the full kind of regalia battle armor and with his sword and he looks awesome. It's not in the film. He doesn't wear that in the film. It could <laughs> have been in the film, but it's not. It's it's cheating you. Um so and, yeah. and John would never close his eyes. <laughs> Thank you.
listening to the East Screen, West Screen podcast. Visit Comcast.com for more. All right, and we are back for West Screen. Our first film up for West Screen this week is Source Code, uh, the latest science fiction picture from director Duncan Jones, who some people might know as the son of David Bowie and director of a pretty big film, a uh, pretty, pretty popular film, I should say, called Moon, which I haven't had a chance to see, but I've, everybody I've talked to who's seen has said really great things about it. Um, Kevin, you want to tell us a little bit about Source Code? Sure. Um, my little formula that I've written for source code here is uh, Groundhog Day meets 24 meets Run, Loader, Run. Essentially, it's about um, a helicopter pilot, um, Coulter Stevens, played by Jake Gyllenhaal. He wakes up on a train, and um, he's confused why why he's there. And then um, he's talking to this the stranger, and all these things are happening around him, but he has no idea why he's there because he thinks he's in Afghanistan. Uh, eight minutes later, the train blows up, and then he wakes up in the capsule. Um, only find out that um, he's part of a program uh, that takes him into something called source code, which, um, if, I, if I got my science right, apparently uh, it's about capturing the electromagnetic waves that people's brains give out and also capturing their short-term memory, which only lasts eight minutes. In this case, it is the last eight minutes of a man who was on a train um, before a terrorist attack happens. And they need Coulter to, to go and figure out who the bomber is based on this dead guy's memory in order to find the bomber and stop a much bigger bomb uh, from going off in Chicago. So the entire film is about uh, Coulter going back to the train again and again, with different scenarios and trying to figure out who the bomber is and 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 stop the bomb and of course he he start to take everything a little too seriously and he thinks he actually has a chance of saving these people um and so on and so forth um i thought it was going to be all brains and no heart because this is one of those gimmicky sci-fi movies um that a lot of people, I think a lot of people accuse Inception of being, uh, being all gimmicky and all brains and no heart. But I was uh, quite surprised that uh, some kind of heart managed to develop along the way. Um, there's the romance between uh, Coulter uh, as the man on the train and the woman, Christina, who is sitting, who's sitting across from him, uh, played by Michelle Monaghan. Uh, and also with um, kind of a friendship that develops between uh, Coulter and... Um, a uh, army woman, the one who's who's communicating with him uh, in the capsule. Um, it moved along very nicely. Of course, the whole movie talk it's, it's about him going back again and again, but not in a way that you expect. Not like Groundhog Day, where the entire scenario just repeats again and again and again. the The way the scenario the scenarios are repeated actually are very well paced. You only eventually you only see what you need to see, and and the movie moves along very nicely. Um, I don't say I wouldn't say it goes by really quickly, but it's very entertaining. Um, I think ninety minutes is really the best the best length for it, and it's just perfect right now, um, at least pacing wise. Um, I can't say that it ends up being really much a very significant movie just because of the nature of the story. It's eight minutes, eight minutes, eight minutes, and it takes place mostly essentially in this one room um, and one train set. Um, but it's an unambitious movie anyway. So um, 
I think achieves is its lesser miniature ambition very well as as a sci-fi entertainment uh, emphasis on fi. Um, however, the last five minutes um, when it feels a little too forced to 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 cram in. Um, something that didn't need to be there. Uh, I don't want to ruin what kind of that five minutes is, but it almost feels like they could have cut it off before that five minutes, um, and the ending would have been perfect. Um, and I think um, I quite enjoyed it, really. Actually, um, I think it's a fine, you know, a fine ninety minutes to kill. Um, see it if you can get the the the, the five promise the the premise. Um, it really is quite gimmicky, and I guess it takes some sort of suspension of disbelief. You don't even need to really care about what the technology, the source code is. Just buy that this thing exists, and this thing can happen. And if you're with it, then you're with it. It's a really fun ride. But if you don't, and I can understand why some people might not, um, I think TBA to kill 90 minutes is perfectly fine. It's a very entertaining watch. It's just... Um, a nice little sci-fi sci-fi entertainment film. Um, I have fun with it. Um, Paul, what do you think? Yeah, I, I liked your your uh, kind of mashup. I, I came up with a different one in my head, but yeah, I think I haven't watched Twenty Four, but from what people have told me about Twenty Four, um, I can definitely see elements of Twenty Four here. But mine was it was one part Quantum Leap. So for those of you who remember the uh, Quantum yeah. Leap television series, which uh, I loved for a long time, uh, and one part Groundhog's Day, and a little bit of a dash of Inception, and then this becomes sort of the bastard love child of all three. Um, the writer Ben Ripley, okay, I, I wouldn't go on to say he's the talented Mr. Ripley by any means. Uh, you look at his credits, he's worked on Species 3 and Species the Awakening, which I guess is Species 4. Or maybe five, I'm not sure. Um, both were direct-to-video, and he's done, like, one other uh, television writing credit. Um, so I think that the writing level here kind of shows. Um, I, that's not to say it's bad, uh, but it's just not original in a lot of ways. It's just kind of borrowing elements. I mean, a lot of things borrow elements. I know there was a lot of talk about Inception borrowing from a DuckTales Um you know, cartoon or comic or, or episode. But still the idea is that this is just so obviously rooted in those. And, you know, it's not really that big of a deal, except it breaks its own logic, and, and it just gets far too confusing when you try and think through what's going on. Um, as a film itself, it's still kind of fairly well put together. I think the leads are all fine. Um, for me... Uh, Vera Far Farmiga was clearly a favorite as the, um, I think she's a, not an army officer, I think she's in the Air Force. Yeah, yeah, Air um, Force, yeah. And, and she's uh, Captain Colleen Goodwin, who's kind of the the person in communication with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal. Is it Gyllen or Gillen? I can't remember. Gyllenhaal. Uh, Gyllenhaal's character, Coulter Stevens, th uh, throughout these missions. Um, and, you know, it's... Okay, so the idea is, as Kevin said, is that when people die, uh, they have a spark that remains. And the source code allows someone who's compatible to latch onto that spark. And that spark is this eight-minute window. Okay, fine. I think that, 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 that's, that's great. But the, the idea is that you would have only a limited amount of experience 
uh, from that eight-minute window. So, I mean, logically, you'd only be able to experience what that person experienced. You couldn't go beyond those experiences if it was simply kind of revisiting the memory, right? But they go well beyond it, like in, you know, because they're doing the Groundhog Day stuff. He keeps, you know, one thing doesn't work one time, he goes back the next time he tries something else. But that's not what the guy he's inhabiting experienced. So how could he possibly have that memory? Um, so it's kind of weird, and it kind of sets up this premise that, well, maybe this isn't, you know, uh, this is an alternate reality, you know, because he says, well, if I, can I change things? And they're like, no, this is, this has already happened. You can't change it, mm -hmm. right? Because you're just re-experiencing this memory and trying to glean as much information for us as you can. But he keeps experiencing these new things that this person, when it happened the original time, we assume didn't have a chance to experience, um, you know, so it's just, it, it, it's not working well, it wasn't working well for me from that sort of science logic standpoint. So it's very much in the fiction category. If you can just look beyond it, suspend your disbelief, you'll probably have a lot more fun with it. Um, and it is entertaining. I mean, it's got enough action, it's got enough suspense to kind of, you know, keep you going on. Um, it's got that feel of like sci-fi channel kind of stuff. Um, a, a kind of top end uh, movie of the week on the sci-fi channel I was you know people had been talking about it and kind of saying oh this is like really really good stuff and so I was kind of had higher expectations going into it um, you know and it, again it's not it's not terrible it's just I was a little bit disappointed with the sides the, and the ending as Kevin said they they try and put this pretty bow on the package that <clears throat> does just doesn't fit they're there was a point which they should have ended it, and it would have been great. And then they kind of went beyond it, and they took it to this this whole new weird kind of doesn't really fit with what's going on um, ending. And I th what what makes me wonder is um, did they do some screen tests, and people said, "Oh, that ending was kind of a downer, dude." Uh, and then <laughs> so they came back and they put a happy spin on it I, i'm wondering if they actually kind of did have a you know a less happy ending yeah. um the other question i have is that all right this is all taking place they keep the, the you know they, they keep sending him on this source code mission um in the period after this bomb has gone off but before this other bomb is supposed to have gone off mm -hmm. right so it's it's the in-between time but they never explain how they actually know that there's going to be this second bigger bomb very well. Um, they they kind of touch on it, but I'm like, well, you know, how do they know exactly that there is going to be this thing? Um, I, maybe they did and I missed it. I don't know. It just, it seems like it, it, I kept asking that question, you know, how can these guys be sure that there's a second bomb? Because um, they didn't really say we found evidence or... Um, that there was this lead or something that at least didn't come across very clearly to me. I don't know. Did did you catch anything like that, Kevin? No, I just kind of figured that he got a they got a they got a friend over. Mm -hmm. I think it's one of those. Okay, when a terrorist commits, uh, it was a letter of intent. That's what they said. The train bombing was the letter of intent mm -hmm. in a way, and that it, it's possible that the the bomber uh, probably caught in a threat. That mm -hmm. okay, this is only a beginning kind of thing. 
Yeah. All right. So, I, you know, again, I'm being kind of overly critical. Um, again, if you like sci-fi and you don't mind the fact that all of these elements have been kind of done better in other places, um, you know, definitely see it. It's, it's worth a matinee sitting in it. Um, and, you know, if you don't mind kind of sci-fi channel kind of stuff, yeah. Uh, otherwise, you know, TV, it. I, again, I think it's worth seeing once because the leads are all pretty good. Um, and it is, it is entertaining if you can uh, suspend your disbelief. All right, and now for the second of our West Screen films, the big Marvel, uh, first Marvel of three Marvel films coming uh, for the summer. Uh, th that is Thor. The other two remaining are the X-Men First Class and uh, Captain America, the first Avenger. Uh, but this one is Thor, directed by Kenneth Branagh, uh, starring Chris Hemsworth as Thor, Anthony Hopkins as Odin, Natalie Portman as Jane, and returning for a smaller but somewhat significant role is Clark Gregg as Agent Coulson, who serves as sort of the crossover link between uh, Thor and Iron Man. So uh, this is a Marvel production, and it gets the comic bookery right uh, for the most part. Uh, kind of in the same way that Iron Man did. Um, it creates an origin that seems like it's going to fit with the tech science-based origins of the other Avengers. Um, two that we've kind of already seen, the Hulk and Iron Man. Um, we've still got another Hulk movie to come, and you've got the Captain America movie coming later this summer. Um, so for the original Avengers, all of those guys, their origins are based in science and tech. Thor is kind of always the weird one, because... Thor is a Norse mythology-based god, um, the god of the, the Vikings. And I've never really liked Thor. All right, there, I'll just get that out to begin with because of that. Because I've never felt that, you know, sort of the magic and the, the, the gods and the deities kind of aspect of Thor really fit. Although, you know, technically, like as in the comics, like here, um, the, As, the Asgardians are... The, the, the people who make up the Norse pantheon who live in this place, Asgard, they're basically aliens um, for the most part with a lot of technology uh, that's kind of at such an advanced level that it operates a lot like magic. Um, but I think that what Branagh has done, the, the look, the feel, uh, the, the taste, if you will, of everything that's going on here, it will fit well with the other Avengers films, provided they get a decent script and, um, you know, a decent director uh, to carry on the things that each film is sort of establishing for the characters. Um, pretty good casting all around, except for Natalie Portman. I kind of felt like she just wasn't appropriate here. I don't know. She had a um, thankless role. I mean, her role was kind of thankless. It was it was going to yeah, be I mean, damsel in distress. The, she's anyway. the Lois Lane. She's the Mary Jane. She's the, you know, the, the Pepper Potts. She's the the character here. You know, her character Jane, scientist, kind of investigating the phenomena. What's the phenomena? Well, it's basically the rain, rainbow bridge, which is the transportation device that the Asgardians use to get to to Earth. Um, that's fine. But are we going to see her again? I mean, you know, she did win an Oscar, Black Swan. Uh, I don't know. Is she going to want to do another Marvel movie? 
mm-hmm. especially one that's like a combo movie where she's probably going to have like maybe a bit bit part. Um, even though if they do do that, it's it's got to be kind of significant based on the way they kind of ended things here. So mm-hmm. I don't know. Um, there is a Marvel mystery cameo here. Kind of easy to spot, but I won't spoil it. But uh, keep your eyes open, Marvel fans. You'll be able to pick up on that right away. Um, this film was in 2.5D. And I want to say, what the what the heck? Um, that is not all the scenes are in 3D. But I was paying full 3D price. Um, it seemed like all the scenes in Asgard were 3D. But a lot of the scenes on Earth were 2D. And they were doing what they did in uh, the Hong Kong film True Legend. Uh, kind of annoyed by that. And, you know, if I'm going to pay full 3D price, the whole movie should be in 3D. Um, I don't know. I I think we're getting had. Uh, We've talked about the 3D thing before, but... All right, so what is the story here? Basically, the story, if you know the story of Thor at all, he is the son of Odin, the brother of Loki. Odin is the king of the gods. He's basically like the Zeus, but of the Norse pantheon. Um... And his son Thor is the god of thunder. Uh, His other son Loki is known as the god of mischief. And there are a ton of other gods as well, but you really don't get to see too much of any of the others uh, that much. Thor's mother has a small part here, as well as Heimdall, we'll talk about in just a moment. Um, But basically Thor is a loud, boisterous, Viking type of youth who's supposed to supplant his father as the king when his father steps down. Um, and unfortunately Thor constantly is seeking battle and he, through, through actions of his own, he, and kind of the manipulations of others, he goes off to fight the foes of the Asgardians, the ice giants, who the, whom the Asgardians once helped fend off of the planet earth. And that sort of established them as gods amongst the, uh, eyes of the, the, um, uh, I guess they were Icelandic peoples or the Vikings. Um, so that that sort of sets the backstory. Uh, Thor angers his father. He's stripped of his powers and he's cast out, banished to where of all places but Earth. Right? New so, Mexico, even. Yeah, <laughs> New Mexico. So you can get rid of people. You just send them out to the desert of New Mexico. Um, so for you know a while, he's going through this. Uh, idea where people think he's crazy Uh, of course uh, other things start happening on earth and you know a hero becomes needed and will he be able to reclaim his title as the god of thunder once more that's basically the story it's an origin story Um, not a lot new here that you haven't seen in other origin stories before acting pretty good i mean you've got anthony hopkins Kenneth Branagh directing, so you got a lot of um, sirs and Shakespearean stuff kind of flying here and there, but in a Marvel movie. So it it all plays out to the end. I think that uh, this doesn't feel like the Dark Knight. It doesn't have that level of grit or seriousness. It's not trying to achieve that, Um, and so that's fine. Um, There was this whole issue with the race of Heimdall, who's the guardian of the Rainbow Bridge, um, who is played by actor, uh, if I'm saying this correctly, Edris Elba, uh, who is, uh, I guess, of African-American descent. And he's basically not, you know, 
Icelandic. He's not uh, white, uh, to put it bluntly. And, you know, the, the Norse mythology is made up of all white dudes and white women. Um, and so that raised a really big issue about race. And, and you know, people were saying, um, you know, we should be upset about this. Um, it's an outrage. And you had a lot of geeks and, and people crying out. And other pe people said, no, 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 we should be colorblind. It should, you know, the the actors should be, you know, just allowed to act. You shouldn't have, you shouldn't color type these kinds of races. You know, we can have a black Spider-Man. We had a black uh, Jim West, right? Will Smith can play anybody. Um, but then, as this was going on a few weeks later, you had um, some rumors going on around with Akira, uh, the live action remake, and that apparently they're thinking about casting um, some people like who... Uh, did you hear about that, Kevin? Yeah, but I don't remember. Was it, Hayden Marky Marky Mark or no, 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 no one, no one that big. But yeah, all all white actors. Yeah, they wanted to cast white actors in the leads of Akira, and then I know that uh, George Takai and a bunch of people on Twitter were sending around stuff, petitions to say, oh, you know, sign this, and we're going to send it to the studios and petitioning. And I, I just thought, you know, this is you, you've which which is it? Is it is it okay to say that certain characters are racially, you know, uh, secure or not? Because the same people who were, like, arguing, saying that it's okay to have uh, Idris Elba as Heimdall are now saying that, no, you can't have non-Asians in Akira because it takes place, you know, it's, it's an Asian anime thing. Even though it takes place in a future called Neo-Tokyo that doesn't exist, <laughs> right? Um, so I, I don't know. I'm confused, Internet. I don't know what to believe. You're supposed to lead me. You're supposed to guide me. <laughs> I'm very scared. Um, it's, it's very simple. It's, it's okay for a minority to take over a Caucasian's role, but it's not okay for Caucasian to take over a minority role. It's just that simple. It's well, just that just the, the sucks. For po just politically correct, yes, that's the way to say it. But but you know, it's not even that though. I I mean, go back to what is it? Uh, Memoirs of a Geisha, and people were all up in arms because uh, who was it? Uh, Gong Li uh, and uh, uh, not Gong Li. Zhang uh, Zi. Zhang Zi and Gong Li and, and Michelle Yo were not Japanese. I mean, you know. It was one of those, uh, oh, all Asians look the same, so you just cast someone who looks Asian, and they can pass for Japanese, and that's kind of offensive to Asians. Right. But, but, uh, but, I mean, what is it? But, can we get a standard? Can, can somebody tell me the rules? Because it, it just seems like, you know, every week there's a different incident, and it's different rules apply. Um, I think the rule is you make a good movie and no one no one will 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 will, will end up caring yeah. anymore. And, okay. you know, Memoirs of a Geisha was not and, a good movie, which is why... Let me, let me just say this. I have family of of you know uh, Norse descent in an offshoot with some great great grandfather somewhere, mm. you know, and I don't care that <laughs> Idris Elba was Heimdall. He did a fine job. Okay, that was awesome. Um, so that yeah, awesome. Uh, that's just my take on it. Uh, see it. It's a big summer blockbuster. My wife liked it. She's not a geek. Okay, so there's something in there for everybody. She's a big Portman fan though, so that probably had something to do with it. Um, but yeah, I'd say, see it. It's, it's, especially if you can get around the 3d, the 3d was okay. Um, but again, it's not all in 3d. So I was kind of annoyed by that. If you can see it in 2d and IMAX or something, it's, it's, it's definitely worth seeing that. Kevin. Oh, I am not a comic book fan. 
Um, I don't know any of this this stuff. I just kind of pick it up along the way, uh, especially with, with the films. And, you know, when I saw this film, I was like, wait, Kenneth Branagh, this is a guy who made a four-hour movie of Hamlet shooting with 70-millimeter film. What What is he? Yeah. Oh, but he also shot Mary Shelley's Frankenstein. So and I was Hen- really scared. Henry V. Let's not yes, Henry V. That's why I was really worried. It, 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 was, it wasn't going to be Hamlet, so it could only have been Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, which was... You know, which had Robert De Niro as Frankenstein. It's a little weird. But anyway, yeah, I just kept thinking, it's Shakespeare in space. It's going to be awesome. But, um, and there are a lot of those kind of, uh, I know it's Vikings, I know it's Norse, but it kind of loved that Greek myth, operatic, uh, 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 torture son with a fractured, you know, father and son relationship kind of thing. You know, that was kind of cool, I guess. Um, but for a film that, takes place over multiple universes, multiple, I guess, realms, as they call it in the film, the story's scope felt kind of small. You know, it just takes place in this one town in, in, on Earth, and I know it's an origin story, but um, the story didn't really feel complete to me. Uh, unlike Iron Man, I thought Iron Man had a much more complete story. Uh, same for even uh, Incredible Hulk, in a way. I'm mm-hmm. not sure which, 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 which Incredible Hulk I'm, I'm thinking of here. But yeah, it just felt like a really incomplete or a really small story. It's like they they took they put a lot of effort into the first two acts, and the third act felt kind of rushed in twenty minutes, in the final twenty minutes, um, into one big finale. Um, but I really liked the small Marvel references. I caught one about um, the Incredible Hulk. I also caught the obviously the the Iron Man references because you have the character carried over. Um, we'll talk more. After we record about the, which this the the mystery Marvel cameo that you saw in the film, mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure if I caught it because I did fall asleep for 20 minutes. So that might be the character development. I know it was it was a really late and the 3D the 3D really tired my eyes out. It was dim and I I know these are all excuses. Um, but Thor was not boring. I can say it wasn't boring. My only problem is that it felt small. Uh, like you said, the race issue is a non-issue because um, the actor is really good in it. He was really cool. He had that. He commanded, you know, he commanded a presence. He, he, he really commanded the screen when he's on it, even though he's in full armor all the time. So, uh, you know, it's fine with it. But the, my standout, I know the character, you said the character was Asian. Um, before we started the show, the character yeah. is supposed to be Asian. But Tadanobu Asano, the Japanese actor, he really stood out because knowing that he doesn't speak English and knowing that he doesn't really have any lines long in three words. So whenever he opens his mouth, you kind of, it kind of distracts you because oh my god, it's a Japanese guy about to open his mouth in the Hollywood movie, and yeah, he kind of he kind of really distracted me whenever he's on screen because he just felt like he didn't really belong there. He was just kind of like, what am I doing here? Why is no one no one really speaks to me? Um, I don't really. They he never really um, plays off like a buddy of Thor, I guess. Um, the whole movie is really light. I guess it felt kind of silly. Um, it was fun though. Um, like you said, it's a big summer blockbuster. Even though it didn't really feel big enough to me. Um, if you want to complete the Marvel series of movies, definitely see it. That's pretty much why I saw it. Uh, if you know next to nothing about the myth, um, but as a TV, it, but don't do it without having at least some idea or watch the previous Marvel movies, movies to know which characters, you know, um, um, what's the, uh, how, how much they overlap. Um, but again, of course, on the last final note, no more 3D. Stop it. Just stop it. Really, seriously. I, I want, if you don't, if you want to force me to watch 3D, I'm just not going to watch these movies anymore. Give me a choice. It's okay if you want to send these movies out in 3D. 
in America, they, they make these conversions, 3D conversions, and they give people a choice because they think that the 3D will, will, will attract more people to watch the films. But in Hong Kong, they force you to watch 3D because they know they can overcharge you for it. They can charge you $100 a ticket for it, and they know you're going to overpay for it. The 3D is not an attraction. The film is the attraction. So you know they don't give you a choice. It's just a dirty, dirty strategy. Um, and I've had enough. And that's my final word on Thor. And there you have it. 3D, we're not going to take it anymore. Mad as hell, I'm not going to take it anymore. <laughs> what movie is that from? Network. Yes, great. Silly Excellent, Excellent film. Um, required viewing for some of my students, although they always fall asleep. <laughs> um, all right, so, yeah, I think that's going to wrap it up. Wow. Uh, we're almost at an hour and a half. Uh, let's uh, put in a break here. All right. Uh, as always, you can keep up with what we're doing over at our website. That's www.concast.com. Or visit us. Visit, uh, can't talk. Hour and a half show. That's what happens. Visit us on iTunes and leave us uh, some comments or a review. We'd be happy to hear from you. You can follow the show at uh, twitter.com slash kongcast, or you can follow Mr. Ma in his daily exploits at twitter.com slash thegoldenrock. That's one word. You can email us at eastscreen at gmail.com, and you can ask a question or send us a short uh, MP3 or audio file, and we'll play it here on the show. And Or you can just uh, leave comments over at the website. And uh, if we have time and uh, the comments are of particular humor or interest uh, to what we're talking about in a given week we'll read it right here on the show final thoughts mr ma no more 3d no more Ma- 3d mad as hell yeah. mad as hell not take any more we're not going to um, take the 3d glasses <laughs> anymore right um so yeah there it is next show episode 64 what are we going to talk about looks like we might talk about the hong kong film punished uh the chinese film buddha mountain possibly water for elephants and if i can get out to see the other four films maybe just maybe fast and furious five um that's all on the plate i'm not sure if we'll do all of them we might do none of them but we'll probably do some of them i think i hope yeah all right so that's gonna wrap it up for this week folks as always we will wish you good viewing and we'll see you next time see you next time everybody Oh, what's the what's the secret secret superhero cameo? That oh, I okay. Uh, did you see the guy with the bow and arrow? Which part? When Thor is uh, breaking in to try and get his hammer, and he's like, you know, fighting all the guards. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, and yeah. They, Jerry they, Remmer. Yeah, Jerry they Renner. Get a sharpshooter guy, and he grabs a bow. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's Hawkeye, who oh. I think was a. Uh, an Avenger at one point. I don't think he was one of the original Avengers, but um, yeah, I think he's a 
He's an, one of the members of the Avengers. I don't know if we'll see him again, but I'm yeah. Also, what's Jeremy Renner doing this movie? This okay. is the guy in uh, Jeremy Renner's the guy in um, he's a guy in the Hurt Locker and the Town. So I was like, he's like, oh, okay. this guy's too big to be uncredited. I know that Samuel Jackson is uncredited because Nick Fury, he's, he's just always cameos. But like, what's Jeremy Renner doing here? Yeah, yeah. So Hawkeye. So if the, hopefully they're planning to bring him in. I'm guessing in the Avengers as well. Did you watch the post credit scene? Yeah, I did. Didn't didn't think it was all that good. Yeah, so you know that there's so yeah the whole thing it's like James Bond. Yeah, Thor is where we turn the Avengers. Yeah. <laughs> um, but then you know it's like, is so is the Avengers gonna be about Loki? Uh, I don't know. You know, is he gonna be like the big villain for the Avengers, or and it's? I don't it know, seems like the whole movie is gonna be like impossibly big. It's almost like they're setting it, up. It, it is. It's it's gonna be like um. They're putting too many things It's going to be like X-Men 3, uh, yeah. I think, where a, f- a few of the, the bigger personalities are going to get all the screen time and other people are going to be pushed to the side. Yeah. You know, and I mean, I think that like Thor, Chris Hem- Hemendahl was great, mm-hmm. but he's no Robert Downey Jr. Right? Mm-hmm. So who's going to get the screen time? Yeah. Um, before you had, uh, what's his name? Uh... Was it Fight Club, dude? Uh, 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 um, Edward Norton. Was he? Wasn't he Hulk? Or no, that was somebody else. He was Hulk, but yeah, he's getting. But, but now pretty, it's Mark Ruffalo. Yeah, I'm looking right? at the uh, Wikipedia. So page. it's like, is he gonna be getting more screen time? Well, I think Edward Norton might have gotten more. I don't know. Um, and then you know you've got a, what's his name is uh, Captain America, uh, Chris Pine, or Chris Evans. Chris Evans, yeah, it's Chris Evans, Captain America. Um, so yeah, it's gonna be kind of, I don't know, kind of weird. Yeah, but Joss Whitten, Joss, uh, what's his name? Joss Whitten is yeah. doing it. So I mean, hey, it's gonna be. Yeah, I, I you know, we'll see it when it comes. I'm kind of more excited for the X Men movie coming up uh, than the, the Captain America movie. But I could, that could be reversed very easily. The X Men movie could be kind of garbage. The last one was. Yeah. Um, what was it? I'm about? just kind of tired of X Men now. Wolverine. I just um, X Men fatigue yeah, over the last yeah. decade. Well, the the rumor is is that uh, they're gonna do another Wolverine movie. Uh huh. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The Japan Japan story. They're talking about really going sort of a a Dark Knight direction, making it a lot more realistic and a lot more dark and gritty. Yeah, but they lost the director, so who knows? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I have to wait and see. But you know, for for me, I'm not a big Wolverine fan, but. If they're gonna tell Wolverine stories, the Japan, the stuff he does in Japan is for me far more interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, and the people that he encounters there, and and all sort of that aspect. Mm. But they've kind of already messed things up with um, which one was it? The X Men Two or last the the last stand? I think the last. There was I, the one with the big war. No, the... no, I think it was X Men Two where he goes back and he fights uh, Kelly Who. Yeah, yeah. Um, because she was a character in the comic book who I think had a relationship with him, mm-hmm. like in his past or something. So I don't know how they're going to deal with that. Um, and it's kind of weird. But anyway, mm. I don't know. It's it's too much comic bookery for me to keep track of. <laughs>